welcome to another episode of Toho Yaro. I'm the host for this episode, Joey Weiser, and with me, uh, as usual, is Alex Kazanis. Hey, Alex. Hey, Joey. And Scott Dryman. Hey, Scott. Hey, how's it going? Hey, pretty good. Um, pretty excited about this episode. <laughs> um, we're going to be covering Yaro. Ch- この旅は一人旅女の道は帰り道。そう、the front uh this is this is uh this movie has a lot of kind of raunchy humor and stuff especially at the beginning of the movie it kind of front loads it so i don't think kids typically listen to this podcast but if you're in a spot where like you wouldn't like folks to overhear us talk about some dirty stuff you might want to kind of save this for later or something so uh as i said this is the first truck yaro movie uh truck yaro goiken muyo there is no official title uh uh, English title, I should say, and um, because this unfortunately is not yet uh, licensed in uh, the English-speaking world, but the title Truck Yaro itself has been translated by official and unofficial sources as a variety of things. I've seen things like Truck Rascals, Truck Bastards. Uh, more and more frequently, I've been seeing Truck Guys, which I've seen on a variety of things like even Japanese Truck Yaro books and uh, Aero video uh, supplemental material, and uh, even speaking of Arrow, on the Battles Without Honor and Humanity uh, commentary, it's referred to as Fireball on the Highway, um, <laughs> which I'm very, I'm so curious about that. I I googled it, and I only found one other source referring to it that way, and no indication where they got that title. Um, so I'm, you know, I'm always kind of on the lookout for possible avenues for like weird uh, English translations of it and stuff like that. So if anybody has a clue as to where Fireball on the Highway came from, I would love to hear about it. It sounds um, like a Japanese Fast and the Furious title. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> um, I like Truck Guys uh, personally, but, uh, you know, it's uh, unfortunately one of those things that's like not very Googleable um, and... As there's no official ti- uh, English titles yet, we're gonna just stick with Chuck Yaro. Now, um, I was initially uh, initially I thought it was a playoff of Bakayaro, mm. Hurakayaro, like like a kind of a pun, but yeah, I guess Yaro could just be anything really. Like I mean, yeah, you yeah. could follow most things. Um, yeah, it's just you know a sort of disrespectful way of saying you or guys or something like that. Um, and I had asked our friend uh, Stephen Paul, who's a professional manga and novel translator, uh, about the subtitle Goiken Muyo, and he said it means something along the lines of like "I don't want to hear it" or "opinions not solicited." Um, and I think I've seen "no opinions needed" elsewhere. So um, that's that's a basic idea of what what this title means. Is these are some guys that don't want to hear it. <laughs> uh, it it made me imagine some alternate universe where this got adapted in the U S a couple years later. And I just imagined the opening of it, uh, being Joan Jett's bad reputation. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That wouldn't be too, uh, too out of place. Um, 
So uh, th this movie is directed by Norifumi Suzuki, who's sometimes referred to as Noribumi Suzuki. Fs and Bs are kind of interchangeable in Japanese. Um, and he's a screenwriter and director that worked primarily for Toei, uh, he, exclusively for Toei in the 60s and 70s, and then broke off in the 80s to uh, work freelance. And he wrote and directed some uh, mainstream hits, like the Red Peony Gambler uh, Jidai Geki movies. Uh, but Trakiaro, I would say, is probably his most, uh, his kind of biggest commercial hit in Japan. Uh, there were 10 films in all, and he wrote and directed them all, which I think is interesting because the more I kind of dig into this stuff, um, you see in these series like Zatoichi and Lone Wolf and Cub and stuff, they would often kind of switch in and out directors. So it's pretty cool that he, he even the Torasan movies, uh, there's two that aren't directed by Yoji Imada. So pretty cool that he had his hand in all of them. Um, Suzuki is a prominent figure in the uh, exploitation film scene, and that's definitely what he's best known for in the West. Uh, the movies I see of his referred to the most in English uh, uh, publications and stuff are uh, Sex and Fury and a movie called School of the Holy Beast. And I haven't seen either of those, but they're pretty well regarded, so I don't know. I'd like to see those sometime. I've been mostly sticking with his kind of like goofy comedies, but I'm definitely curious to see like what his uh, stuff that leans more on that way uh, would be like. School of um, the Holy Beast is a super evocative title. Yeah, it's like a nunsploitation <laughs> movie. Uh, it looks pretty wild. Uh, uh, it's well, you know, like I said, it's well regarded. Um, so uh, as far as the actors, uh, I'm going to run down the cast. This is another one that has kind of a big cast. Um and I do want to note that there's a kind of weird thing in these movies where the characters have names, but they also have uh, names for their trucks, which also double as nicknames for the characters. So I'll point those out whenever uh, applicable. Um, first and foremost uh, is Bunta Sugawara, who plays uh, Momojiro Hoshino, a.k.a. Ichiban Boshi, which means first star. And he's this sort of truck uh, tough guy who uh, falls in love. And his, oh, go ahead. That uh, so Ichiban Boshi. It got me confused because uh, that that Boshi meant hat, and Hoshi was star. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I guess in some, I guess when you have like two words that are um, that are sort of connected or, or rather um. Yeah, we well, usually when it the H comes in the middle, they'll substitute a B to make, I guess, as a convention to make it sound more distinct. Yeah, it's actually very similar to what I was talking about with uh, how Norifumi Suzuki is sometimes named Noribumi Suzuki, because uh, the F and H is actually within the same list of letters. <laughs> I don't know how much we want to get into Japanese language lesson, but but yeah, uh, that's worth pointing out that uh, the Hoshino in his name, Momojiro Hoshino, is is star, um, and uh, and I'm going to talk about this a little bit later. But the Momo is like. Peach, and so he has a lot of uh, peach and Momotaro uh, imagery associated with him as well. Ah, very um, cool. Didn't yeah. notice that. Mm -hmm. um, and his sidekick uh, of sorts is uh, Kinya Aikawa, uh, who plays Kinzo Matsushita, aka Yamome no Jonasan, which means Jonathan the Widower. And this <laughs> is something that I love that I just found this out. Um, I People had asked me, like, why is his name Jonathan? And I was always just kind of like, I don't know, maybe like it's just a cool, you know, English is kind of a cool thing. 
but it's actually a play on uh, Jonathan Liv- Livingston Seagull, which is uh, which was a film that was popular around the time. Novel. Yeah, I knew it because uh, Seagull <laughs> is uh, Kamome and uh, Widower is Yamome. So uh, yeah, yeah. I figured he was named after Jonathan Livingston Seagull. I did not get the Kamome Yamome mm-hmm. uh, pun. That's really good. Yeah, that's excellent. I'm very happy. I did a lot of, of sort of deep dive research into this. That I found a lot of really interesting stuff about this uh, this movie and, and the series in general. Um, Masumi Harakawa plays his wife, uh, Kimie Matsushita, Jonathan's wife. And um, oh, I do want to sort of mention, as everyone's got these different like names and nicknames and stuff, uh, Jonathan's character is kind of primarily referred to as Jonathan more than his name, Kimie, uh, whereas... Momojiro or Ichiban Voshi, um, Sugawara's character is kind of those are sort of a little more interchangeable. So in for the purpose of this, uh, in my notes and stuff, I mostly just called him Momojiro or Momo because that's what he's referred to as a lot. So Momo and then Jonathan are kind of primarily what I'll be referring to them as. Um, Yutaka Nakatori plays Yoko, the film's Madonna or love interest um, for Momojiro. And Junko Natsu plays Kyoko, a.k.a. Mona Lisa Okyo. And she's the lady trucker who uh, has this sort of tense relationship with Momo. Uh, Makoto Sato plays Masaru, a.k.a. Uh, Kanmo no Dragon, or the Gates Dragon, the rival trucker of this film. And uh, Machiyuki Yuhara plays Senkichi, the sort of wimpy follower guy uh, who they pick up midway through the movie. Um... Specifically highlighting a couple of the actors, I want to talk about the two stars. Uh, Bunta Sugawara is obviously a big star. He is pretty well known in the West, uh, specifically for his Yakuza movies. Uh, He's the star of the uh, Battles Without Honor and Humanity series, as well as Street Mobster and Cops vs. Thugs. He's he's appeared in over 200 films. And originally, he worked as a model and was kind of cast uh, very early on in roles where he was supposed to be sort of more of a young heartthrob type, which I think is really interesting. But it was uh, later in his career when he found these sort of more violent films that he could really, you know, bring the intensity and I think <laughs> shine in that way. Um, Suguara voiced the many-armed old man Kamaji in Hayao Miyazaki's Spirited Away, uh, which is something that some people in the West uh, might have heard the Japanese dub of, um, or original version of, whatever you'd like to <laughs> call that. Uh, despite uh, mostly appearing in these harsh roles, uh, he was a beloved figure in Japan, and he was nicknamed Bunchan. Um, after his retirement, Sugawara um, became active in social and political causes, including pacifist and anti-nuclear war uh, movements, or anti-nuclear movements. Um, Kinya Aikawa, uh, was also a beloved actor and personality in Japan, uh, known as King King. And uh, besides Trakiaro, Aikawa is probably best known in Japan for being the host of a popular television show called Naruhodo the World, which ran from 1981 through 1996. Pretty big run. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it seemed like it was kind of like a travel quiz show type, type show. Um, and it seemed like uh, when I was looking over his IMDb and, and Wikipedia and stuff, he'd done a lot more voice actor roles than than live action roles. Uh, he was the voice of the masked racer, uh, known in the West as Racer X from Mach Go 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 or Speed Racer. And he was the voice of Kame Sinin in the Dragon Ball 10th anniversary movie uh, Path to Power. 
which man, I have that on DVD and I still hadn't, I meant to break that out and give that a listen because <laughs> that was one of, that was actually my first time ever hearing Dragon Ball in Japanese. So the fact that it has this connection to Kinya Aikawa is really interesting to me. That's, that's pretty great. Huh. Yeah. Uh, Kami-sen has actually uh, gone through a whole bunch of voices throughout like the entirety of Dragon Ball. Uh, yeah. I think they have the curse of casting old men. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so I think I think that's the only one uh, Dragon Ball property in which uh, he did that voice, but I think that's pretty cool. Um, so getting into the synopsis itself, and feel free to like butt in when you have something to say. Um, the movie opens uh, in a high traffic area. There are two decorated trucks, uh, also known as Decatora, um, that are driving by the the traffic and and with their loudspeakers asking for drivers to please pull to the left. It's an emergency. And throughout uh, the, the scene, we get close-ups on the decorations and stuff, which give us introductions to the characters. Momojiro, the driver of the first star, Ichiban Boshi, and Kinzo, the driver of the Jonathan the Widower. Um, the title of the movie comes on screen, and the trucks easily bypass the traffic uh, and then continue to drive leisurely after the road is clear. <laughs> so we see that, in fact, there was no emergency. You know, what rascals? And uh, the theme song kicks in, uh, and uh, over the opening credits, we see kind of a montage of the two driving throughout the country. Um, they There's a little scene here where they show some general disrespect for authority as they smack policemen statues on the head with a stick and ending up uh, accidentally bonking a real policeman on the head, <laughs> not showing particularly any regret for that. I think that's kind of a theme uh, in uh, Norikumi Suzuki's work is uh, lack for authority, uh, of respect for authority. Uh, uh, something that that I want to camp out on for a second is that this this theme song, The Ballad, is sung by Bunta Sugawara himself, mm-hmm. which I think you've told me before that this was kind of a trend in Japanese films where you would have the lead actor singing the theme song for his own movie. Yeah, Kenya Aikawa also has a verse in it as well, uh, which is cool. I'm glad that they're kind of both included, but it's primarily Sugawara. Yeah, we're definitely going to cover that uh, a little bit. Um, so after this, uh, we get a look at kind of the home guys, the different guys' home life, and we get to see kind of in which ways that they are really <laughs> yarrow, you know, jerks or whatever. Um, <laughs> First, we follow Jonathan as he arrives home in Kawasaki. He parks uh, and he switches this back panel of his cab that was originally the sort of <laughs> centerfold of a naked lady, and it, it flips over and becomes a portrait of his giant family. That's <laughs> so good. I know. Yeah. And and so here we see that he is not, in fact, a widower, but he is married with seven kids, and um, he clothes them in identical shirts uh, that it's from an anime called uh, La Sien no Hoshi. Or La Seine no Hoshi, I don't know, kind of French mixed with uh, Japanese, and um, feeds them with watermelon. Uh, that both of the the shirts and the watermelon were kind of skimmed off of shipments that he and Momo were making. Um, and he sneaks a beer in the bathroom and uh, pulls out an old policeman's hat. And as he puts it on, he kind of looks at himself longingly, and and we get this sense that. Uh, this this environment uh, that he's in is very stifling for him, and he's kind of longing for something. Meanwhile, <laughs> we see Momo, who hangs out in the Soapland, uh, which is a bathhouse where he can relax with these practically naked ladies. 
that he can kind of sleep with at will. <laughs> and uh, one of the workers asks him if he'll ever get married, and he says that he's married to his truck. So in contrast to Jonathan, uh, we see him, instead of giving uh, the watermelon to a big family, he's giving them to the ladies at the Soapland. And um, also providing contrast, uh, he casually has sex with one of the workers uh, as we tr transition back into Jonathan's house. Um, the whole family is asleep in one big room in Jonathan's house, and the wife, Kimie, uh, wants to sneak in some sex as well, uh, saying, it's been a while. And Jonathan seems less than pleased about this, <laughs> uh, but he is kind of, yeah, go ahead. I, I love before when they're eating dinner, and she's like, tonight you're going to love me. And he's like, uh-oh. <laughs> like, don't get drunk. So he pays yeah, his yeah. kid to... <laughs> <laughs> and, but he's you know you know for for however i i think uh it's interesting how your kind of perspective on him and his family life changes over the movie but at here it's it's definitely presented as like sad sack guy with a stifling giant family yeah. and stuff yeah 100 uh, so like one of the kids wakes up at this point and wants to go to the bathroom and he seems to intentionally step on several of the kids on the way out uh waking them up as well <laughs> kind of ensuring that he's he's off the hook so back to Momojiro, he's lounging in his <laughs> truck in his underwear. He's got this like bright red uh, fundoshi um, and he's watching porn on this little uh, portable TV. And uh, it's pretty great. It's just like a, you know, kind of chorus girl dancing or whatever. And uh, another truck parks next to him and it's Kyoko, uh, who's also known as uh, Mona Lisa Okyo. And she's a lady trucker who has the famous painting of Mona Lisa hanging on the back of her truck. Uh, she and Momo uh, seem to have a sort of like kindly sort of flirty relationship, but it's definitely antagonistic as well. It's that sort of like, you know, uh, you know, <laughs> teasing each other, but maybe they're kind of flirting type uh, relationship. And she gives him a gift uh, that she picked up in her travels uh, and they exchange some harsh words and she leaves Momo to enjoy his porn in peace and go to sleep. <laughs> and the next day, uh, Jonathan and Momo are driving and they are cut off by some dump trucks who sideswipe Momo's truck and break one of his lights. And they all stop at this point and a big uh, fight, fight emerges. Um, I want to mention that the sort of tall, dark-skinned driver that Momo challenges here is played by Rikia Yasuoka, who was Piskin in Tampopo. Mm -hmm. um, he's, he's uh, as we'd mentioned in Tampopo, he's half Italian, so I think he gets some sort of extra... <laughs> height and and uh looks pretty intimidating that way um so there's this big fight on and around the trucks there's like a cool shot of sugawara punching some guys on top of john on the top of uh, jonathan's truck and um okio also arrives and picks up momo's lighter that he had dropped in the scuffle but the police uh now arrive and momo and jonathan are arrested uh, something I want to mention for the fight scenes is how crazy the shaky cam is to try to make the fight look more dynamic. Yeah. And I could see somebody getting motion sick. It's just so all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. It's that's something that it kind of has in common with battles without honor and humanity, uh, different directors, but it's that kind of like, I think in the seventies, that was kind of a big style was to like really go for the shaky cam, which gives you that feeling of like realism or something, but kind of intense. It's a, uh, yeah. Watch out. Even yeah, even though this is an action movie, I feel like the fights are are dynamic enough to stand on their own without having to accentuate them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I also like Jonathan's 
uh, fight MO of like punching a guy and then realizing he's in a fight, getting scared and going to, to hide <laughs> or pretending to save Momo when he's actually just trying to get Momo to save him. <laughs> yeah, very good. Uh, speaking of which, uh, uh, speaking of Jonathan, uh, back at the sort of police station, he's being scolded, especially they're both being scolded. But Jonathan, uh, we learn here, was once a policeman. Uh, he was a strict traffic cop who was feared by truckers, known as the t- the devil of Hanamaki. And um, the police say that he was fired for driving drunk, but Momo and Jonathan kind of insist instead that he quit, and they, they liken it to cutting off ties with the Yakuza gang, which angers the police. And uh, at this point, <laughs> Momo kind of flies off the handle, but Jonathan holds him back, and they're dismissed. Um, waiting outside is Okyo, and she tends to Momo's wounds. Jonathan asks her to patch him up too, but she directs him to find the first aid, aid kit himself. <laughs> Obviously not quite as focused on him. And Momo and Okyo share the first of many meaningful looks uh, in this movie. And uh, he breaks the, the, the moment, though, by kind of crudely suggesting that she should get married sometime, and she slaps him. And so the... <laughs> yeah. You have something to say about that, or yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I really like their relationship. I don't know. Um, so the boys are off at this point, and uh, after a long trip, they arrive at a truck stop. Uh, which I should mention, the truck stop is kind of less like a convenience store and more like a restaurant, kind of. Um, and they are desperately in need of a bathrooms. Uh, they specifically <laughs> need to go number two, kind of holding their butts as they're <laughs> running off to the toilets. Uh, and a really like, you know, if if there was any um, worry that like these, uh, you know, Sugawara, the big action star, was gonna try to be too cool in this comedy movie, this definitely dashes that <laughs> and uh so they rush off to the toilets and there's two stalls uh one is occupied and jonathan gets the other one so momo's angrily beating on the door and insisting that the occupant get out uh but when they do he's shocked to see that it's a beautiful woman uh, and she gets the soft focus treatment and momo literally sees stars twinkle around her face uh, this is a really cool effect with these sort of like uh handmade little cutout stars that are reflective and sparkle and stuff that carries throughout the series um he apologizes uh but he plays it off like it was some other rude guy who was banging on the door and, and <laughs> looks around to see what where he must have run off to and he squirms and tries not to act like he needs to take a dump super bad <laughs> but uh as he does another trucker takes the empty stall dope and uh inside the truck stop uh, jonathan comes in and and greets the other truckers and we get to see it's kind of this like friendly environment everybody's got nicknames and it's a boisterous place and when momo comes in he's he's looking for this beautiful girl and finds her working there as a waitress uh momo acts very reserved around her uh but jonathan is just kind of goes for it making fun of momo uh for not ordering his usual beer or whatever and complimenting the lady on her beauty uh she introduces herself as yoko uh, which uh, another note on names: the two kind of mean, uh, main uh, uh, leading ladies are uh, Yoko and Okyo, so it might get a little confusing. But yeah, <laughs> um, Jonathan says that uh, she's just like his dead wife, and asks uh, why she's working there, and uh, she says that she's working for the money, of course. And when pressed for further details, says that uh, she'd be moved to tears uh, if she continued talking about this. 
So uh, kind of in this conversation, uh, Hokkaido comes up and she looks off wistfully and says, the Hanamasu there is so pretty, Hanamasu being a flower. Uh, Momo takes note of this and we transition to him and Jonathan driving. And uh, Momo's Before like, we move on. Oh, uh, go ahead. I think it's really neat that in that scene when there, when Jonathan's asking why she's working there and she's kind of alluding to her backstory that Bunta Sugawara has this cool, like, badass Yakuza guy moment where he's like, we all have things in our past. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's the thing that I think is really interesting. We get, like, a full, like, store backstory for Jonathan in this, and, and Momo is just this sort of, like, mysterious man. <laughs> um, but, yeah, just vacillating between, like, the goofy scene and then him him going back to that, you know, cool, tough guy thing. Yeah, totally. I, he's really good at doing both and kind of going back and forth. Um, so at this point, uh, as they're kind of driving off together, Momo's in a daze and ends up absentmindedly driving his truck into a sign. And so they, they get out of their trucks and Jonathan tries to knock off this lovesickness by suggesting that they go to the strip clubs that they're parked outside. Uh, when suddenly a young man comes running out, chased by several thugs. Uh, this is Senkichi, and he seems to ha have gotten too close to the boss's girl. Uh, Senkichi climbs into <laughs> Momo's truck to try to evade these guys, uh, and when one of the men uh, finally ends up literally stepping on Momo, uh, he finally snaps back into reality and bites off the guys, telling them to get away from his truck. And uh, this, so another little quick uh, shaky cam fight scene here. And uh, this leads to Senkichi wanting to become uh, Momo's disciple, calling him Shacho, or president. Um, Jonathan is not keen on this idea, but Senkichi kind of butters Momojiro up by uh, taking a knee and eloquently complimenting the Ichiban Boshi while including some jabs at Jonathan's truck. <laughs> and uh, Momo says that Senkichi truly understands art <laughs> in, in, a, in a line that I think is really great and, and takes him under his wing despite Jonathan's protests. At this point, Jonathan's kind of just like, screw you guys, fine, you, you be best friends then. And um, Senkichi's first mission is to find the Hanamasu that Yoko was talking about. Um, he goes to a flower shop, but they don't have any. Uh, it seems like this is not a flower that's native to this area. And he settles for a different red flower, carnations, which uh, not very classy. And uh, uh, But they're cleverly disguised <laughs> by wrapping a piece of paper around the stems that says Hanamasu on it. Um, and so Momo gives him his instructions. Uh, he points into the truck stop that night and tells him to give the flowers to the beautiful woman in there. And so acting as Cupid, uh, Senkichi follows through and tells Momo that it went well when he comes back. So they go in uh, to the truck stop and are seated. Yoko doesn't seem to be acting any different, which kind of confuses Momo at first. And he asks Senkichi, like, did you deliver the flowers? And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I did. Uh, but she's very shy and uh, doesn't want to see you right away. So Momo's about to say hello to Yoko when Jonathan enters with some goods, uh, again, that he kind of stole off the top of his uh, shipment. And he uh, says that they're for her to share with her friends, but doesn't want to share with Momo and Senkichi. Just then, Okio enters, uh, the, the lady trucker, and she's holding the carnations. Momo looks at Senkichi furiously, and uh, we we can put together that he delivered them to the wrong woman. And Okio uh, kind of stops by briefly to say that she has to rush out to make a delivery, but when she's back in town, she wants to have a talk with Momo, and she's seeming very chipper and very happy about this. Um, 
and as she after she leaves, uh, a mysterious man enters, uh, smoking a cigar and wearing a newsy hat and calling himself uh, Kanmo no Dragon. Dragon has come here from Kyushu to race Momojiro, and Momo accepts and they depart. Uh, and this race scene's pretty cool. Um, it's it's filmed at night, uh, so you get to really show off what the lights on the trucks look like and stuff. Um, it doesn't look like exactly like super fast, like I think you know to our eyes, like what it would meant to look like. Uh, but it, uh, I don't know. I, lo I I like the truck racing scene because you get to kind of see the trucks and and the cool lights and decorations and stuff. Uh, and there's dragon, drama. They're like jockeying for position and stuff, even if it's not like super flat out fast. Yeah, even if it doesn't look like a Fast and the Furious movie or something, you can still see that the, they do, like, one guy's in, ahead and then the next guy's ahead, and you have to deal with, like, oncoming traffic and stuff like that, you know, so... Uh, and and you get these kind of cool shots of the guys driving dragons, like, smoking and driving and looking generally cool, and uh, Momojiro, you know, is kind of sweating and, and, and trying to stay in front, but Senkichi has also joined him in the truck, and it seems like this is too much for him. Kind of neck and neck, and as they round a turn, Sakichi actually wets himself in fear. And this eventually he grabs a hold of Momo's wheel, begging him to stop. And Momo and he struggle, uh, and the Ichiban Boshi is eventually run off the road, and Dragon pulls ahead and drives off into the night laughing. Bad job, Sankichi. Uh, so in, in the truck stop, uh, Dragon and the other truckers are celebrating the victory. And uh, Momo and Sekichi arrive. Sekichi tries to uh, make uh, the excuse that it's his fault for losing the race and not to blame Momo's driving or anything like that. But uh, Momo stops him saying, no excuses, he lost. And uh, he hands over the prize money to Dragon. And the other drivers remark that Momo's being a good loser. Um, they're invited to join in for drinks. Uh, I think kind of showing off that uh, Dragon really is kind of a nice guy <laughs> uh, but they they go off to sit by themselves and Yoko serves them and they kind of discuss the money that was lost Momo says that money isn't everything and she agrees but says that not having money can still make people sad and here we see that her troubles are obviously money related uh, the next day uh, Momo and Sekichi are shopping for truck parts and we get this kind of like goofy little scene of a guy showing off lights and horns and stuff and um, Jonathan sees them through a window and drags Momo off to have a talk with him one-on-one. -on -one. And he's mad that Sinkichi has seemingly replaced him as Momo's partner and demands a fight. Momo kind of, like, you know, resists. But then when Jonathan angrily insults Yoko, uh, Momo wallops him and uh, leaves him to kind of stew on the ground. A sad scene of uh, friends fighting. Uh, I really like Jonathan's, I mean, uh, not Jonathan's, Momo's outfit during this because it's this cool green jumpsuit with yeah. his like signature red star on it. Yeah. Um, Momo's outfits are really great. They usually have like a big red star. Um, he often has the um, big dipper as well. Uh, <laughs> crying back to her, like kind of uh, making me think of fist of the North star. Yeah. But, me too. Uh, yeah. So uh, yeah, he's got a really cool, I, I don't remember if it's in this movie or another one. He's got like a leather jacket with the, um, uh, Big Dipper on the back. Really cool. So as uh, Momo and Sekichi drive off, uh, Senkichi continues to compliment Momo. Uh, and Momo's kind of like drinking it in and being like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm a tough guy. And then, But then when he goes 
too far in insulting Jonathan's credentials as a trucker, uh, Momo is enraged and kicks him out, uh, leaving Sinkichi on the side of the road. So we get a little look at Momo's kind of morals and, and honor here. Um, and after this, Momo's already kind of in a bad mood, <laughs> and he returns to the truck stop to see Dragon driving off with Yoko. So he's furious and follows them, and to his dismay, he sees them park at a love hotel. He is devastated. Yeah, so meanwhile, Okio uh, is back in town, and she picks Senkichi up. Um, she promises uh, to smooth things out between uh, he and Momo, but Senkichi lets her know that he was wrong about the flowers. Uh, they weren't actually for her, they were for Yoko. And uh, when Momo said that uh, to give them to the beautiful girl in the truck stop, he automatically thought of Okio, who he thinks is prettier. And I uh, might agree. Um, uh, back at the truck stop, Momo is crazy drunk. He's like, here's another good, uh, really great kind of Dutch shot with, uh, uh, Momo like yelling for more sake and knocking down glasses. Um, Dragon and Yoko arrive together and Jonathan puts two and two, uh, together and, and, and sees that this is why Momo is so upset. And he kind of gleefully congratulates Dragon and Yoko on their relationship. At this point, uh, Momo flies off the handle. He, he assumes that Dragon had paid for her, knowing that she had money problems, and and he stands up and throws a wad of cash in her face, and uh, she runs off crying. and And it's a pretty upsetting moment when when he's told that like he's wrong about the situation. Uh, one of the truckers who had previously been uh, identified as Virgin, as his nickname. Um, and another waitress had gone off to the love hotel together. And while they were having this sort of like love marathon, he uh, boasts that they had sex four times. Yeah. Uh, I love that. They specify the number of times. Yeah. It's like, while we were having sex four times, um, the, a thief stole his clothes. So dragon drove Yoko to the hotel to bring him uh, more clothes so that they could leave. And so Momo made a huge mistake. Uh, he stumbles over, still drunk, to apologize to Yoko, who's uh, crying behind the kitchen counter, and he attempts to climb over the counter, <laughs> but uh, falls, knocking all sorts of stuff down on him. He's, like, all white now, covered in flour, uh, sort of, like, goofball uh, scene in a very dramatic moment. Uh, so he gets up to apologize, and now is kind of sincerely offering her the money as an apology. Uh, she asks him to stop, though, because if she accepts the money this way, she'll never accomplish her goal. And Dragon saunters over and tells Momo to take the money back. Momo, still in a rage, tells him to butt out and gives him a solid punch. And uh, what follows is what Alex was referring to, this big uh, fight scene in the truck stop, uh, which is really great. Um, they they kind of travel all throughout the whole uh, truck stop, fighting each other and knocking things over, throwing food, which eventually sparks, yeah. like, a food fight. Uh, it's very it's like, slapstick. It's, it's, it's very, like, it, it's so silly. And and he just, tra they trash the place completely. I can't believe how much damage they do to this place. Yeah, the, the they're, first like, thrown through of, windows. Yeah, like, they're breaking all the tables, all the dishes. Like, yeah, the windows. It's it's nuts. Like, yeah, they and really, I, I like they, these guys point. really are. They really are yaro. Like it's these guys are are they're hooligans. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're like you know this really uh, is a weird kind of like mirror uh, version of the like yakuza movies where 
you might be terrified to be around these tough dudes, but they're actually kind of like often friendly and stuff. But if you cross them, they're going <laughs> to destroy the place. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, there's a really great part, a uh, kind of gag in this where uh, uh, Momo gets thrown into a jukebox and it starts playing uh, music uh and <laughs> and uh it finally stops every the fight scene finally uh stops when Okio runs in and breaks it up and here we learn that uh she and Dragon are actually brother and sister and she pulls him outside and he uproariously laughs <laughs> after that sort of brutal uh but goofy fight scene he's he's still in a great mood uh he approves of Momojiro he says and and thinks that they should get married uh, and <laughs> now uh before you continue this is a uh... This is such like a typical, you know, Japanese manly thing. Like this, like oh well, let's lock horns, and then after they both have this fight, ah ha ha, I like you. Like <laughs> it reminds me of uh, the bitten tampopo. Yeah, like a lot. Like it's true. Yeah, it, it's a. Uh, I feel like this is very of genre. Mm-hmm. This, this situation and yeah, I love it. Like it's 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 just so delicious to watch. <laughs> and also like. Uh, Dragon has has been an antagonist through here, and you kind of get a, a general feel for his personality. But at this point, you're like, "Oh, he's really just a good guy. He's he's just rough like the rest, like Momo is." But mm-hmm. he's actually got more sense than anybody else in the movie. Yeah, it's true, and and you and it makes the race. You know, the race at first just seemed like, well, Momo's a tough guy and is well known throughout the land, so you know, tough truckers just appear from all over to to challenge him and whatever but now it it makes more sense that he was actually there kind of testing him as a trucker to see if he was fit for okio Um, but at this point she tells him that she was mistaken and she doesn't actually she claims that she doesn't actually love him and runs off very dramatically in this sort of major (laughs) soap opera moment and uh it's like where is she running to yeah i don't know a field (laughs) Yeah, to feel sad. Um, and this this scene literally abruptly ends, uh, and uh, we suddenly are uh, on a beach, and Momo uh, has parked his truck and strips to his undies and runs out into the water, and uh, Jonathan uh, parks behind him and also follows suit, uh, stripping to his underwear and running into the, the water, and they they share some meaningful looks, and Momo starts kind of splashing water at Jonathan and <laughs> what follows is this like ridiculous montage of them playing around on the beach. Like they're doing sumo uh, on each other. They're they're There's a really, my favorite part is when they're kind of like lying, you know, two arm lengths <laughs> apart, throwing little shells or something at each other and laughing. They're just um, guys being dudes on the beach. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's like a little friendship romance scene. It's real cute. Yeah, it's really great. Um, uh, I do so... want to point out here that I was really weirded out. Uh, basically, anytime Momojiro is is shirtless, at how like super thin and wiry Bunta Sugawara is, because he doesn't have like a single bit of body fat on him, and he's really lanky. So his his frame is just super bizarre to me. Yeah, yeah, and kind of like coming from as we'll be talking about a little bit later, this sort of caricature of him that's a character in One Piece, where he's this like big, huge dude with a giant, thick neck and everything. I was very shocked to kind of like see, oh no, he's actually the super skinny, super wiry uh, guy. Um, 
And uh, I don't know, kind of adds to him kind of having a grandpa vibe sometimes when he's like <laughs> being very sweet. Or when um, he's kind of hunched over because of. Mm-hmm. Well, he'll occasionally wear um he'll occasionally wear like a haramaki, mm-hmm. right? And that's that's like a that's a belly warmer, like a Japanese belly warmer, like a it's like a sweater for your stomach. And most old people wear them because they get cold. Yeah, I feel yeah, like yeah. they were a big big. I don't know if it's just uh, in this movie, but it makes it seem like they're a pretty big fad in the 70s. Yeah. I think it was kind of more on trend then, which is why now we think of old people as wearing them. Um, ah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, right, because Tortosan wears one too. Mm-hmm. Tortosan, and it's a, it's a staple of uh, Jonathan's outfit, uh, is the is Haramaki um, for sure. Right, um, right, right. And so now we've reached the halfway point of the movie, and uh, we are suddenly introduced to a completely new story element, which is a thing that kind of throws me threw me off when I first saw this. And it's a it's pretty typical though of the Truck Arrow movies, especially, but it happens in like a lot of movies of similar of uh, the similar time period, and um, it you know is a kind of thing that takes a little getting used to uh it, it still threw me off now where i was like all right this movie like it feels like the movie is like three-fourths over and then all of a sudden here's this new major plot line and you've got half the movie to go yeah it does make the movie feel longer or something it's it's interesting um, well the way i've seen it i mean the way i kind of like look at look at this movie is that like it's less of a movie and more like three episodes of a tv show crammed into one thing <laughs> Kind of, yeah. yeah. I think that's, that's that's a good way to characterize cause, it. Because everything has, like, an arc that, like, just happens and ends. Like, like Jonathan and, and Momo's scuffle, uh, the stuff with Okio and Tsukichi. Mm-hmm. And it all kind of comes, finally comes together for real at the end end, but... Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so what we're talking about here is that after playing around on the beach, is uh, the guys come back to their trucks and find... A small child who's been abandoned. Uh, her name is Yumi, and she's got a note with her saying that she was left by her dad and uh, asking them to take care of her. Once and... again, this is the start of another episode. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so they kind of debate about what to do. Um, uh, an interesting note where um, Momo's like, don't take her to the police, you know, it's another kind of distrusting authority thing. And Jonathan agrees to take her in. He's already got seven kids. What difference would eight make? <laughs> and um, Back at Jonathan's house, the f- family happily takes her in, and uh, we get a little bit more backstory on him. Uh, his wife, Kimie, is the daughter of Jonathan's former boss uh, in the police force, and despite marrying down in status, she's very happy about her life. Um, is this the scene where they're eating the noodles on the water over water? With the watermelon? watermelon? Yep. Uh, yeah, that's a really interesting thing that I can't figure out if that's a real dish that I just think is weird, or if the joke is literally that Jonathan has so many watermelons that he's skimmed off of his <laughs> shipments that uh, it's like that's the joke. It's like, well, we're gonna eat noodle watermelons and watermelons for dessert, and whether make watermelon hats or something. It's real plausible either way. Yeah. <laughs> um. But uh, yeah, I could see some kind of cool noodles on a hot summer day, uh, lightly flavored with melon being maybe good. I don't know. Um, so uh, after this, we get a scene of Okio and Senkichi hanging out together. They're uh, eating bread uh, out of these little packages by the river. Uh, Okio tells Senkichi her backstory. Uh, she married a trucker at a young age and uh, 
uh, unfortunately, he was crushed by the truck while changing a tire. And she doesn't resent the truck, however, and drives it because they worked so hard uh, together to buy it. Uh, she's thinking of selling it now. And Sankichi is shocked to hear that she's uh, qu- uh, quitting the truck driving business. And, and we get a little moment of him like sadly stuffing bread in his face <laughs> and contemplating what he's just learned. And uh, this moves over to a scene on a rainy day, which I am not sure if this is like later that day or if this is a few days later or something, but um, all the truckers are hanging out at the truck stop uh, waiting for the rain to pass. And uh, Senkichi sits alone in a truck. I think it might be Okio's truck and is uh, saying like, well, Okio's going to move away. He's got a, he's, he's decided he wants to marry her and, and, and is practicing his proposal uh, what he doesn't realize is that he's accidentally switched on the loudspeaker and everyone in the truck stop can hear him. <laughs> and uh, he acknowledges in this kind of speech to himself that everyone's hearing that he's a useless guy, but says that uh, no one will ever love him as, or love her as much as he does. And uh, mentioning that not even Momojiro will. And uh, as he enters the truck stop, all the truckers give him a really hard time. They're laughing at his proposal and, and taunting him and, he breaks down crying. Pretty pretty brutal scene. You know, Senkichi's not my favorite character, but it's it's rough seeing him bullied like that, you know. Um, and Jonathan steps up in a in a great moment and says, like, that there's no reason why you should make fun of a man for proposing to a woman. And they all kind of agree, like, okay, okay, we're being crappy. And um Dragon Momo and Okyo all exchange more meaningful looks at this point, uh, while dramatic music plays and she runs out to her truck and uh, holds up the lighter of Momo's that she had picked up earlier in the film and watches as the flame goes out in the rain. And she drops the lighter on the ground and turns on the speakers uh, and accepts uh, Senkichi's proposal. There's a round of applause and uh, everyone's cheering and clapping except for Momojira and Dragon, who are the, you know, the tough guys. Um, and Dragon comes up to Senkichi and for a moment, it kind of looks like he's going to be like, you know, you're you're a wimp. What are you talking about? But he he tells him to take care of her and ruffles his hair and is kind of acting like the manly older brother at this point. Um, it's a very sweet <laughs> moment. Uh, Jonathan remarks to Momo that he lost a good girl and he agrees. Uh, Jonathan urges Momo at this point to go out and speak with Okio and so... Momo and Okyo uh, shake hands out in the rain, and she wishes him luck in finding a wife. And rain falls down on the portrait of Mona Lisa, and the scene ends. Kind of, and my know, heart is broken for him. Yeah, I know it's rough. Uh, yeah. I, I, so he's she's like she's like his Lily. Yeah, I guess. Well, mm, no, well, <laughs> she's not, not reoccurring. Oh uh, well, that I wondered about that because they have such a great rapport in this movie. Yeah, that, like I wondered if she does show up again. That would yeah. that would have been really great. I would have loved that because I really like her and I like um, their relationship. And I'm a little, uh, uh, you know, I have conflicting feelings about her fate at the end of this movie. You know, at, I guess at the end of the scene, basically. Yeah, but, and um, if, maybe sin- if there were uh, maybe if there were more than ten trucker at Yara movies, we would have seen her again. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, Sankichi yeah. is so crappy. He's yeah, Sankichi sucks just so this, bad. Like, yeah, it, she deserves better. And so it's it's real heartbreaking. And you see that moment when, like, Dragon realizes what's going on. Mm-hmm. And, like, he's he's as upset as we are. Yeah. But he, he sees that, like, the way things are going and that 
uh, Momojiro is not going to do anything about it. And he's like, well, this is what's happening. And like, I want my sister to be happy and maybe this is a way to do it. So he comes around, but yeah, I can only I hope can't. that she's like genuinely moved by Senkichi's proposal and isn't just kind of like, well, this is the best I can do, I guess, you know, like I hope that, that there is mutual love between the two rather than just kind of her settling. Yeah, I mean, he he does obviously have passion for her, so there's there's something there, but mm-hmm. still feels bad to me. Yeah, uh, I like it from his perspective. Like, I like it. I like that he, you know, uh, you know, can kind of like was mustering up some genuine feelings and uh, was, you know, even though he didn't intend to broadcast it in front of everyone, you know, was going was hopefully going to say some, you know, strong things to her or whatever. But. Um. Anyway, moving on, we uh, we are now in a sort of nice sunny day, and uh, some rockabilly music is playing, and <laughs> we get uh, Momo and Yoko uh, driving in his truck. They make a quick pit stop, and then uh, he takes her to her destination. Uh, she tells him not to wait for her, and she enters a huge house. Uh, Momojiro deduces that she's from a rich family, and uh, back at Jonathan's house, Jonathan is hanging out with the family, and they're watching a festival on TV. And Yumi, suddenly, uh, the child that had been abandoned, suddenly stands up and is dancing along with the TV and saying, Daddy, Daddy. And they realize that this must be the place where she's from. And instantly they're there. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if this is <clears throat> very close by or, like, maybe uh, <laughs> this festival has been going on for several days. But <laughs> suddenly... Well, I mean, it's uh, established later that, that Momojiro can do an eight-hour trip in two hours. So... Distance is meaningless in this universe. It's true. Yeah, he opens up his uh, wormhole. He didn't have to wreck his truck this time. But um, uh, yeah, so um, the Momo and Jonathan are accompanying Yumi and taking her around the festival. And Momo promises to take her to something called the Star Festival, uh, thematically named, uh, sometime. And uh, she's recognized at this point by an old man. And they ask him to take her to her father. And we cut to a gravesite, and her dad is dead. And the man <laughs> is not mincing words at all. Uh, describes this uh, horrible mining accident where there, were, where his body parts were everywhere, and they had to scoop him up in a basket. And, yeah, it's uh, real, real morbid. <clears throat> yeah. And, uh, but you know, <laughs> these guys, these guys live a hard life, and they don't, they don't hold back. Um, Yumi's father, we learn, was a trucker and uh, lo- lost his license after being stopped by a strict traffic cop uh, for having an overweight load and speeding. His wife left him and he became ill and could no longer take care of Yumi, so he left her in a truck and trusting fellow truck drivers to uh, hopefully give her a better life, you know. And Jonathan uh, asks for the name of this strict cop and the man doesn't remember what the name was but knew that he was nicknamed the Demon of Hanamaki. Oh no, it was Jonathan. <laughs> and Jonathan is stricken with grief. And uh, yeah, that, I like that sort of uh, irony or whatever at this point. Um, and so he, you know, of course, uh, takes Yumi back in and, and adds her to his family. Um, on their way back home, Jonathan and Momojira are stopped at a wait station and they see truckers begging for forgiveness for having uh, overweight loads and other truckers being seriously delayed on their shipments because of the long line. And uh, Jonathan suddenly pulls out of line, uh, still kind of grieving over uh, what he'd just learned and uh, is calling out to the other truck drivers to go ahead. He'll, he'll, uh, he'll 
stopped the you know cops from stopping them and he backs his truck into the uh back uh into the way station and totally smashes it and seriously injures himself uh what do you guys think about this part i uh i find jonathan's like guilt over this really fascinating because like he hasn't he hasn't shown a lot of like mature emotions he's just been kind of whiny that momo had a new friend instead Mm of him uh but now we get some like it's still a little cartoony because jonathan's always goofy but (laughs) some like real emotion out of him over something and i like that he he gets this kind of mini redemption arc for it yeah i like this sort of like dual nature of his character where you kind of have like his past where he was the police that we now know kind of as the antagonists and so he can see things from both sides, but uh, is ultimately on the side of the truckers now. Yeah, uh, it's it's actually pretty awesome how much development he gets in this movie. Yeah, um, it's a good you know it's a good trick to kind of like give the like sweet goofy character the like uh, real emotional backstory. So. Yeah. Um, so he's taken to a hospital uh, where his family rushes to his side, uh, and then in all the excitement, his wife collapses. <laughs> there's a funny part here where momo calls out uh like for an ambulance <laughs> he's like we need an ambulance," and the nurse reminds him like we're already in the hospital uh, i love that joke um and uh so in fact what had happened was that kimie uh, went into labor and she had their eighth child ninth actually if you count yumi so the baby is born and all is well <laughs> uh and yoko i love that by. they just put her in a bed next to jonathan <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, might as well have you all together here. Um, it's a pretty, like, dingy little uh, hospital, too. Like, I don't know, the walls and stuff don't look super clean. Um, but I guess that's what you get when, when you're a trucker. Um, so they, Yoko they stops by. Special, uh, they go to a special trucker hospital. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is what their health plan covers. It's <laughs> Hospital Yaro. St. Yaro's Hospital for yeah. the Truckers. <laughs> um. And uh, let's see. So here we're in the hospital still, and Yumi uh, chimes in to say, like, to ask when they're going to the Star Festival. And Momo realizes uh, that, yes, that's right, he'd promised that, and the Star Festival is today. So uh, with Jonathan's entire family being out of commission, uh, Momo and Yoko go together with Yumi to the festival. It's a very sweet scene. Uh, we get a little Mazinger Z cameo uh, as one of the floats. Yeah, I've got that in my notes, too. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, and at dinner, they remark that they are uh, being mistaken for a family, and they laugh and play along. Um, that night, however, Yoko returns to the truck stop after it's closed, and there's a man named Akira waiting there for her. Um, they seem to have a history, something about money owed uh, due to him accidentally killing a man, and he's there to say goodbye uh, and to ask for her forgiveness because he's about to leave on a tuna boat and never return to Japan. Uh, Yoko sheds a tear and uh, uh, asks him to stay, but he wants her to have a happy life without him. He urges him not to go, and he runs out, uh, leaving her to cry alone in the closed truck stop. The next morning, uh, you know, not being tonally dumb, uh, Momojiro arrives at the truck stop, and he's in a uh, snazzy suit uh, wearing... He's he's cosplaying as, as Akainu. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah he's got this like bright white suit and his t- shirt is the same shirt that he wore to the star festival it's got these like surfer guys on it it's so good 
um, and setting and uh, uh, setting suns. Um, and so he finally has the Hanamasu flower. They're a much classier kind of uh, rosy uh, pink uh, flower. And uh, he's planning to propose. Uh, he starts to act it out himself, but uh, makes sure to turn off the speakers. Yeah, <laughs> I love the callback. Because, <laughs> um, yeah, he, he starts and he's like, oh, I should, oh, I should nope. check this. <laughs> uh, so he enters the truck stop and they're just opening up, but Yoko's uh, over by herself and he approaches and sees her with kind of tears in her eyes. She's very distraught. Uh, she runs off and he follows her to this cool location. I love this spot. It's like up on a mountain or something so you can kind of see the city below and there's this big rock that I don't know if it's like a monument or something um, but it's a, it's a beautiful shot uh, she collapses sobbing and asks him to hold her and he picks her up off the ground but asks what's going on as she's kind of wailing in his arms and she fills him in on the details uh, she and Akira uh, knew each other um, since middle school and had planned to marry uh, she was studying to be a nurse and he was working at an automobile repair shop uh, driving for the repair shop, he fell asleep at the wheel and ran over a man who was the head of a wealthy family. Um, and Akira had brought money to them. This is a sort of customary thing in Japan uh, to bring a little money at funerals when somebody dies. And I'm sure it's especially so when you, you know, manslaughtered them. Um, but the son threw the money back in his face and said, like, this wouldn't even pay for a night's drinking for him. And this totally crushed Akira. And he quit the repair shop and is now leaving to never return. And, I think uh, the situation is that, like, is there was some kind of settlement where he actually owes them money, even though they're super rich, and they just mock how, like, he he can't work enough to actually pay them back, but these payments that he's giving them are nothing to them. Okay, okay, yeah, I think that might be so. Yeah, I didn't know if it was just for his sort of, like, you know, honor or something that he wanted to bring a significant amount but yeah they, they had mentioned earlier on like could you continue to live with like i don't remember what it was 60 percent of your wages or something like that because like, yeah they'd be paying them back his entire life and so he's, he's you know planning to leave and uh she mentions though that he fell asleep at the wheel uh not because he was like lazy or anything but because he was forced to work overtime and so she doesn't blame him and this reminds Momo of how truckers are also forced to kind of work beyond what they should uh, to make ends meet and uh, sort of recognizes Akira as a fellow truckyaro and he throws the flowers in the river and resolves to help reunite Yoko and Akira. Uh, Yoko... Uh, I really like the flower scene because it is also a nice callback to the same thing happening with Okio dropping Momojiro's lighter in that like just symbolizing giving up these hopes for these people that that aren't going to go for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, I like that a lot. And yeah, that's a really great shot of the flowers kind of like slowly dropping into the river and then washing away. Um, so, but Yoko is protesting, saying that there's no time. He's at a port eight hours away and Momo's confident that he can make it there in three. And uh, she's totally given up, but he drags her along and Momo speeds with her as his passenger uh, in the Ichiban Boshi, and he's being trailed by police that he runs off the road, and he's breaking through police barricades. <laughs> uh, he goes off-road, uh, or kind of off the major roads, and is totally destroying his truck along the way, splashing mud all over it and smashing the lights and decorations with tree branches and the barricades and stuff. And they finally arrived. They made it in two and a half hours, as we had mentioned earlier. And... Um, a, uh, this is a new record for him, he mentions. <laughs> Very sort of like, you know, coolly. 
uh, and he pulls his demolished truck into the port, and uh, Yoko runs out, finding Akira about to ship off. Um, he comes off the boat to speak with her, and she pleads with him to stay and to, to start over. She tells him not to run away from his problems, but to face them. And at this point, Momojiro pulls away, leaving the two uh, to live their lives together. And and uh, I, I love this part. Yoko kind of runs off uh, after the truck for a moment, uh, but just watches uh, as the Ichiban Bushi drives off in the distance. And the theme song kicks in, and we see the worse for wear Ichiban Boshi pulling Jonathan's similarly destroyed truck from when he uh, ran it into the way station uh, along. And Momojiro seems stoically content, and uh, Jonathan smiles and waves from the truck behind him. And and uh, as we close, a title card pops up uh, with a sort of it's a mad, 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 mad world-esque caricature of the two heroes uh, <laughs> and says, the end. Yeah, I like how this wraps up because it, as heartbroken as I am that Momo and Okio don't end up together, I really like the kind of reset to zero of these guys battered and, and, and worse for wear, but like just going on with their business of being truck rascals and, and smiling and being happy hanging out together. Yeah, it's a kind of great like... um it's it's interesting to make the lead characters kind of lose, you know, at the end, but but look like they're still enjoying life and uh, <laughs> have demolished the things that they love for things that they felt were very important and stuff. Um, I want to uh, <clears throat> talk a little bit about some sort of like interesting facts and things about this movie and the series in general, and then we'll get into uh, our like kind of more of our review thoughts and stuff. Um, this film, uh, as I had mentioned earlier, was a, was a hit and produced, uh, several sequels, 10 films in five years. And the origins from the series, uh, came from an American TV show called Route 66. Um, huh. this stuff, actually, I want to mention, uh, as well as our friend Steven, uh, who, who did a little, uh, translation for the title for me, um. Um, a lot of this information uh, comes from our friend William, who uh, is also kind of a collaborator with the One Piece podcast, who uh, helped um, kind of guide me through the Japanese Wikipedia page. And I learned a lot of really interesting stuff. So um, as I was saying, um, the origins of the series come from an American TV show called uh, Route 66, um, which is about two young men uh, traveling the U.S. in a sports car. And Kimi Aikawa, as I had mentioned, uh, did a lot of voice work and was doing dubbing work for the series um, and uh, wanted to make something similar to it for Japan. But he thought that as he was already kind of around 40 years old, he didn't think that he could pull off the like cool guy in a sports car thing and had uh, recently seen a documentary on NHK uh, where he had been uh, that, that he'd seen where... Uh, that featured the illuminated trucks that that the Decatora that uh, that are in the movie, and thought like, "Hey, this could work. This is something that I think I could do." And um, he had also uh, been hosting a game show recently that uh, Bunta Sugawara was a guest on, and they had become acquainted. So uh, he got together with Sugawara, and they uh, kind of came up with the idea themselves and brought it to Toei, which I think is really interesting. Um, and Toei eventually placed it in the hands of Norifumi Suzuki to kind of. Uh, rounded out into like a full-fledged thing. So Kinya Aikawa, the sidekick uh, actor, is actually kind of responsible for the series uh, even existing, which I think is really interesting. Um, yeah, it's really cool. 
they this movie was originally just a kind of backup like uh, a big thing at the time in japan was showing double features um and so toei just kind of put it out not expecting much from it but it ended up being a huge hit and so they kind of immediately started making sequels and stuff and uh, it created a mini like uh truck yara boom uh, in this period and spawned like toys and model kits and magazines clothing lighters you could get the momojiro lighter if you wanted and even comics uh, based on the series. Um, a little <clears throat> thing that I love uh, from this time period uh, that I'd love to see is uh, Toei created a sort of Charlie's Angels-esque TV series that they uh, just combined two of their popular properties at the time, Truck Yarrow and Rose of Versailles, and created a series what? called the Truck Girls of Versailles. What? <clears throat> yeah, it, it's great. There's a few <laughs> clips of it on YouTube. Um, these are oh women God, who are uh, delivery drivers for the flower shop that they work in and drive a decatora to uh, deliver flowers and also solve crimes with their detective father. <laughs> this sounds amazing. Yeah, I, it looks so good. I would love to see uh, more of it. Holy um, crap. That sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and like Charlie's Angels, you know, they're, you know, in pantsuits doing high kicks and stuff. It's, it's real great. Um, so Decatora, as we've mentioned a few times, are these decorated trucks. And, uh, this was a trend at the time, uh, to decorate trucks that, that inspired the movies, but then the movies themselves kind of had that reverse effect where they inspired others to do the same and up the ante. So you can see as the movies progress, uh, like, um, the decorations get fancier and fancier and more elaborate. Um, there's even a scene kind of in one movie where there's like a bunch of like other kinds of cars all decked out and stuff. It's really great. Um, these these days, uh, Decatora are often referred to as art trucks and uh, are pretty different. They they kind of look like spaceships, <laughs> and uh, they're they're totally nuts looking. And they're mostly just used as display uh, for art as art pieces and stuff, and not not actually hauling goods across the country. Um, in fact, I think even by these sort of modest by today's standards, the Decatora in these films were kind of beyond the rules and laws of what could be used on the road. You see that mentioned sometimes in these movies, cops being kind of like, these these decorations are illegal or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, Not to mention, uh, they they mention rather than hauling stuff, they steal a lot of stuff in the movie. Mm-hmm. So I guess like, I, I, don't know, I don't know if that's the case for Decatora in real life, of course, but how uh you know how ballsy is that to drive this flashy truck while also stealing stuff like that's almost <laughs> I, saying come and arrest me please i think the the stealing that they're referring to is they're skimming a little bit of off their shipments like that's how they get the watermelons and the t-shirts the oops it fell off the back of the truck i yeah. see and i kept, see. kept so a little deliver, bit for themselves you know 90 percent of the watermelons that you were supposed to be delivering and then keep 10 percent for yourself or something gotcha and gotcha. they they justify it by saying well they the the companies expect this <laughs> this to happen so they factor in for it okay i didn't see that's something i didn't quite get so good but yeah, they specifically lines, use the term pilfering, pilfering yeah, to, yeah, to, yeah, yeah. rather than just like stealing. Yeah, yeah. I think that it's also kind of funny, like you were saying, Alex, that they have these flashy decorations, like a thing that, you know, a, a sort of logic problem I have that I just have to kind of wave away is like, so Ichiban Boshi, like, you know, does all these uh, horrible, you know, speeding and stuff and is running cops off the road and stuff. And it's like, 
that'd be one thing if you could just be like, you know, anonymous. But if you have a giant <laughs> truck that has your signature on it, you know, like they know who it is. <laughs> so it's surprising that at the beginning of the next movie, he's not in jail. <laughs> yeah. Completely. Uh, the one thing that like I that really boggled my mind was the fact that nobody could catch him in this truck. Yeah, like he's going, he's off roading in a in a big rig. Which, <laughs> I mean, granted, I don't know a lot about about automobiles mm-hmm. and you know and their cousins, the trucks. But I I would think that something that big and bulky wouldn't be faster than like you know your average Joe sedan police car. <laughs> yeah no totally um so you know that's the kind of thing you just have to accept but uh something else i wanted to mention along with the the decatora stuff is that there are actual truck drivers uh in these movies that uh, are used as extras and often reoccur throughout the entire series and these guys have like sort of become famous within the like trucker scene and the sort of truck yara at this point is kind of a cult uh hit in japan and um I remember a couple years ago, one of these guys passing away and kind of seeing pop up in a lot of my internet searches, people being like, so-and-so who appeared in all the truck movies finally has passed away, and he is such a great trucker and all this stuff. I think that's really sweet and really cool. Now, is this one of the guys like from the from the rest stop scene? Like, uh, they, they call out a couple guys, Joint and Viper. <laughs> yeah, I think they could be those guys. I don't know. I know the guy that... The, do- the doofy guy with the glasses who's like the Japanese John Denver. Yeah. Uh, I think Joint <laughs> is his name in the movie. <laughs> There's a sort of big guy that has a mustache that always wears aviator sunglasses, who I've definitely seen in multiple ones. I don't know if he's an actor or a trucker or not, but he's the guy that um that steals the bathroom stall from Momo as he's trying to act cool. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um. The term truck yaro, uh, or truck guy, was actually created by Toei. This is something that I thought was interesting. Um, specifically by Kanji Yamao, who is a producer at Toei, who came up with the title. Um, I had always wondered about this, because I've uh, seen it used in other media, like modern media. Um, I've heard people say truck yaro in movies and anime and stuff, and it's always just kind of translated as trucker or truck driver. And so apparently, it was, although it was created for... Uh, these movies, it became commonly used uh, as just a term meaning trucker in Japan because of the popularity of these movies. Um, and like you were saying, Alex, I don't really have much knowledge about uh, you know trucks and automobiles and whatnot, uh, or really even much interest in them outside of these movies. I think the decorations are really beautiful, and I love uh, to look at them and stuff, but like um, you know, Momo's and Jonathan's trucks are always the same kinds of trucks throughout the movies and stuff. And there's definitely information on exactly what kind of engines they have and whatnot. But that kind of stuff doesn't really <laughs> stick in my mind. So I didn't uh, do too much uh, uh, about that in my notes. But I did kind of want to mention the decorations. Um, like uh, Jonathan's truck uh, is, is a smaller truck than Momo's and always has this money motif, uh, as well as um, the... Uh, Mount Fuji is is on it. Like uh, in this movie, Mount Fuji is on the back, and in later movies, there's actually kind of like a sculpture of Mount Fuji on the front mm-hmm. with lights uh, going up and down. <laughs> cool. And the Ichiban Boshi switches up its decorations pretty dramatically throughout the series, but there's often uh, a star motif to go along with uh, <clears throat> Momojiro's um, Ichiban Boshi stuff. And uh, 
then there's also, as I was saying, the Momotaro or Peach theme somewhere on it. Um, in this film, the Ichiban Boshi has a, an eagle on the hood, uh, and on the side there's a bear, uh, I'm pretty sure. Sometimes it kind of looks like a gorilla to me, but I'm pretty sure it's a bear. Uh, looks like a yeti to me, like a Sasquatch yeah. or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, and on the... Uh, so that's on the sides and then on the back there's this sort of ukiyo-e style uh painting of momotaro uh you can see the 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 three animals and he's got the nippon ichi sign and all that stuff uh so so even in this movie he's got the momotaro theming a little bit it becomes more obvious in uh, later films for sure um so you know uh the truck in this one is pretty pretty simple uh compared to later ones but i still think it looks great um, I wanted to mention that the formulaic nature of these films, uh, and the fact that they're sort of about a romantic ruffian who loses the girl at the end, make them very easily uh, comparable to the Torreson movies. And um, by 1975, when this film came out, there had already been 15 Torreson movies out, and uh, they in fact came out in the same month, which was, I think, originally kind of a coincidence. But uh, after Truckiaro had become a hit. They were considered rivals, and Toei would make sure to schedule their release around the same time as the Torasan film. So there would be two a year, uh, one in the summer and one in the winter, right around the same time that Torasan came out. And there was even a term for this, which meant the Tora Tora Showdown. Uh, Tora meaning Torasan, and Tora also being the beginning of the word truck, Toraku. Um, and the action and raunchy content of these, I'd say make them seem sort of like the seedier sibling or cousin to the Torasan franchise. <laughs> yeah, um, that's what it definitely feels like. They got the, it's, you know, Madonna. You have the mm-hmm. Madonna that he falls in love with, and then he eventually has to let go and give to someone else, basically. Yeah, yeah, and kind uh, of sacrifice himself. And... An interesting contrast to me is that, uh, and and I don't know if any this was at all intentional on uh, Trakiaro's part, but how Torsan is about how he's kind of old fashioned and kind of sticks to, to more traditional things. Whereas uh, all the stuff in, or all the people in truck seem very contemporary. They're wearing like very avant-garde fashion for the time. I assume with those like crazy shirts and scarves and stuff, mm-hmm. Mojiro wears. And it's a lot more about like that kind of Western synthesis. Yeah. And there's all this sort of like knickknacks and, and, and stuff on their trucks, you know, that seem very modern and stuff, I think, for the time. Um, I definitely think that, like, so Torasan was already an established franchise and was known as a hit. And I think Toei, in general, at this time period, was doing a lot of more, like, kind of dirty and violent movies. So I can totally see them be like, well, we want to do, you know, compete for Torasan, but we want to do it Toei style. And so and so this is what you get. <laughs> it's pretty interesting. <laughs> Um, let's talk about the music, uh, for a second. Um, uh, first and foremost, uh, the Ichiban Boshi Blues is the Trakiaro theme, and it appears in all but one of the films. Um, I think it's the eighth film doesn't have it, which is weird. Uh, that, that one in particular kind of takes some departures, uh, from the formula, which I think is interesting, but I don't know, man, cutting out the, the Ichiban Boshi Blues seems kind of <laughs> wrongheaded to me. <laughs> Uh, 
旅は一人旅女の道は帰り道所詮通わぬ道だけど As it really like, represents the series to me.、Uh, it's, as we said, it was sung by Bunchu Sugawara and Kunya Aikawa、uh, with musical arrangement by the Downtown Boogie Woogie Band, who we're going to be talking about in a second. And、um, this,、uh, I have、uh, some translations of the,、um, the, the main lyrics of the song, the chorus. And bear with me, these, these translations are actually mine. <laughs> so I did some cross referencing to kind of like、uh, make sure that I had some of this stuff right. But, you know, so if things are a little janky with these, don't blame William or Steve. Ladies、uh, and gentlemen, the blood, sweat, and tears that Joy Weiser puts into Toriyaro. <laughs> so, the, you know, the chorus、uh, is basically. Oh, my God, a, I just said Toriyaro. Toriyaro. We're the tiger guys. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, the chorus、uh, basically means、uh, a man's journey is a solitary journey, a woman's road is the road back home. Even though their roads are different, love brings them together at the crossroad. The first star in the sky sees my heart or knows how I feel. And、um, I really love the lyrics to this because it really like, fits in with the whole theming of everything with the, the star in the sky and gives you kind of this melodramatic feeling of, you know, heavy hearted love lost and stuff like that. Um, and Sugawara himself is an excellent singer.、Um, do you guys have anything to say specifically about this song? Oh, it's great. It's, yeah,、um, I love it. It's, it's super like, melodramatic. It fits that, like, the thing I talked about earlier this, this tough, manly, you know, manly thing that, that Japan likes to do,、mm-hmm. where, you know, only real, like, real men will duke it out, but they'll also cry, kind of thing. Yeah. You know? It's what it invokes to me. Totally. I love it.、Um, the other sort of insert song, you, you could call it, <laughs> is the Truck Driving Boogie. Downtown Boogie Woogie Band that I had mentioned earlier does the music in Ichiban Bushi Blues. And this is that sort of fun rockabilly song that is in the scene where、um, Mojiro's driving Yoko around. And、um, I, I, I like the song, it's fun. I don't really have much to say about it. I think it only appears in like two or three of the movies. But、um, I do want to mention that the Downtown Boogie Woogie Band themselves appear in the film. Um, they're the gas station operators who clean up、uh, Momojiro's truck and then thank him for the tip. <laughs> so, Which makes it、uh, two for two with Godago for、uh, bands guesting in movies. Yeah, yeah. They,、uh, and it's great because this, like, this song is playing, and they're originally just hanging out at the、uh, gas station, like mimicking. One guy's doing like, the little drumstick things with his hand while they're like. 
uh, sitting there. So uh, it's a pretty good, like, if you're in the know, like, this is the band, everybody. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I just wanted to kind of touch a little bit on the score um, is by Tadayashi Kinoshita, who scored eight out of the ten films. Um, score is great, too. I, I totally love it. Um, I don't have a lot to specifically say about it. It's kind of jazzy, uh, you know, very much of its times. Lots of horns and woodwinds, piano, stuff like that. Uh, do you guys have any thoughts on the score? I thought it was cool. Uh, it's very distinctive, and I think it fits fits the movie. Uh, mm-hmm. And I could see. I mean, like, I'm, and I'm assuming the rest of the series as well. Yeah. Uh, totally. Yeah, uh, it's that same kind of thing where it's kind of tough and, and brash, you know. Yeah, I love it. Did you have anything, Scott? Um, yeah, I was just gonna say that uh, he, uh, I like I like the music. None of it really stood out for me, aside from the the boogie woogie band. Mm-hmm. music uh but that uh Kinoshita is a pretty prolific uh not as prolific as Akira Ukabe but a pretty prolific composer and I think just celebrated his 100th birthday oh wow last year which I found notable yeah you know I I, I said that it like <clears throat> is very much kind of music of its times I'd say it's very much not only of its times, but of Toei. Like, I think that I don't know that this guy was exclusively like a Toei guy, but it's got that sort of like Toei sound. I, I've seen a lot of movies that kind of uh, sound similar to this around that time. And you get, um, what's his name, that did uh, Scorpion movie score that also did the, all the like Dragon Ball music and stuff. Um, I'm blanking on his name, but he uh, has. Kikuchi. Very, yeah, Kikuchi. Yeah. Uh, he, he has a very similar aesthetic, I think, of lots of horns and woodwinds and stuff yeah um and he was definitely a toy guy too um so uh let's talk a little bit about our particular history with the film um i'd be curious uh how about alex yeah so i uh the entire reason that i know what uh truckyaro is is because of one piece mm-hmm. uh which i think is the same same for you joey uh mm-hmm. i didn't really know anything else about it other than like you know, Sugawara was the main character of this of this series called Trokyaro. And that's that is the extent of what I, I knew about it until uh I mean until you came on the podcast and talked about it. Because uh, it's uh I I I didn't really dig deep into it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a big pusher. So I think it's a <laughs> similar story for Scott probably, uh that I just kinda threw this movie at him. <laughs> <laughs> how, how about yeah. Scott? Uh, yeah, this uh, my first exposure to it was from you. You kind of talked about it, and eventually you had a night where you had a bunch of people over to watch it, and I was I was really entertained the first time I saw it. Uh, I will say I did, like I said, I was kind of thrown when it felt like the movie was close to wrapping up, and then we had an entire second half. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah. I, I enjoyed it. I've seen was the fifth movie with you and I've seen the second yeah. one on my own now. So I look forward to watching the rest at some point. I know they're hard to come by. Yeah. Yeah. Especially um, with uh, any sort of English translation. Um, so I'd, I, yeah, as Alex mentioned, like I'd heard of Chuck Yarrow through one piece um, uh, specifically. Um, yeah. Buntu Sugawara uh, is 
a character is sort of the model for a character called Akainu in One Piece. And uh, so there's a little bit of a connection there, but I think more strongly so is the character Kizaru, whose name is Borsalino in One Piece. Uh, and he's modeled after the actor Kunia Tanaka, and, but specifically modeled after the character Borsalino 2 from the second Shark Yaro film. And um, I think that, uh, you know, while, you know, like I said, Bunta Sugawara has that tie, but then once you really get into it, like <laughs> the Kunie Tanaka thing is, is, a, is a direct line to Shark Yaro. And um, Hizaru's character always struck me as being interesting looking. Like I didn't always know that, um, that the author Oda um, like does these caricatures for people, but those, those Marine admirals are specific caricatures of, of Japanese actors. And so, you know, I was always just like, man, what is the deal with this character design? And then when I eventually found out um, about this, I was super curious, just even the idea of like there being uh, Japanese trucker movies from the seventies was like that in itself was appealing to me. And like, this is something I've got to see. And um, in sort of searching for it, what I found was this one, the first Truck Yarrow film. And despite it lacking the Borsellino character, I decided to watch it anyway, because I wanted to know what the deal was with these. And, you know, I got to say, the first time I saw it, I didn't quite know what to make of it. Like, I do kind of remember ending, you know, ending the movie and being kind of like, huh, <laughs> that was weird. <laughs> and, you know, I hadn't seen a lot of uh, Japanese movies uh, from this time period. I'd seen a lot of kind of like Kurosawa stuff and a lot of more modern stuff. Um, so I think things like Suzuki's kind of scrappy directing style and Sugawara's like, I don't know, frankly shocking kind of like over the top intensity kind of took me off guard. But uh, I kept thinking about it and this is very unusual for me, but I found myself watching it again, like just a few days later, kind of being like, I want to, I kind of want to watch that again. And the second time it totally clicked and uh, I just really, really loved it. And, you know, this one in particular, I've seen many times, uh, you know, cause like I said, I love spreading the word and, and making my friends watch it and stuff. And uh, I've also rewatched it several times on my own over the years. Um, and I eventually did track down that second movie with Porcelino and, and it was like pretty easy to follow along. Like it, it like has a very similar, um, formula, especially the first two movies are like almost kind of identical in story, uh, with just a little bit of things kind of moved around. Uh, and so after watching that, I was kind of like, I bet I could swing this. And <laughs> I ended up tracking down the rest of the movies completely unsubtitled and watching them all. and. Uh, Really, that's when like it, my appreciation for it like got more and more uh, deep because uh, it just gets more and more bonkers. Like they're the the rival characters end up being like very strongly themed. There's like a shark themed one and like a you know uh, like a, I'm trying to think of you know Porcelino's is sort of like mafioso uh, fancy uh, European themed one. Uh, yeah, there's even one where uh, Momojiro falls in love with the lady trucker, which uh, I was happy about finally happening. Um, so, you know, and I've been importing a lot of stuff, the books and soundtracks and things about it. And uh, it's definitely um, this and Torasan are kind of neck and neck as my favorite Japanese film series these days. And while I acknowledge that Torasan might end up being, you know, better films in a lot of ways, uh, kind of in the big scheme of things, 
uh, Chuck Yarrow kind of ekes ahead for me personally, just because I love how cartoony they end up getting, and I, and they're really fun. They're very enjoyable to watch, uh, and Sugawara is an excellent comedic actor. Uh, you know, I think that's something that's not said about him a whole lot uh, uh, in English, at least, because uh, most of what we see is his like dramatic roles. But that same same intensity that he brings to to uh, Yakuza films, he brings to being a goofball, <laughs> and really great. Yeah, I think that the the fact that these are kind of like goofy, silly movies, but they still have an emotional core to them and characters that you care about and you care about what's going on. Uh, it really makes it work. Mm-hmm. It's not just like goofy slapstick, one hundred percent through. Yeah, uh, I guess some some would say that. This movie has serious tone problems, but I would disagree because I, I tend to give movies that are like this from Japan a pass because that is a very typical style, uh, you know, to have something very goofy, but really, you know, have some serious dramatic weight to it. And, you know, to bring that back to One Piece, you know, One Piece is very similar to that, too, where, you know, one panel, you can have like the weirdest, you know, most goofy thing happening. And then mm-hmm. in the next, something dire or or heartrending is happening. Like, and it works somehow. Yeah. Uh, and you know that, of course, is on the onus of the director, and uh, I, I and the actors, of course. And I think that they pull that off especially well in this movie. Yeah. Yeah, I think I like. Have, I am sort of confounded by Suzuki's directing style because he'll do weird things where there's abrupt cuts and things like that. Like there's that, I'd sort of made reference to this where she's like, run, where uh, Okio is running off into the field. It kind of freezes for a moment and then cuts. And it, it almost feels like the DVD skipped or something like that. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's a weird thing. It like kind of feels like a mistake, but I also kind of really like the scrappiness of this is the, the idea that you're kind of like with these rough and tumble guys and this might not be the most like clean, well-produced movie, but it's, it's got a lot of heart and it's got a lot of energy, you know? So yeah, obviously I'm a big fan <laughs> moving into critiques, you know? Uh, well, I will say about this movie specifically uh, in comparison to the rest of the films is that uh, it it's a little tame as far as the cartooniness goes there's stuff in the other movies where they're like the big fight scenes get more and more crazy and stuff like that with sort of like kind of goofy elements and stuff thrown in and but i think what this movie is is the really like solid foundation on which the rest are built and the love story is solid and the humor is definitely there and i think it stands on its own pretty well uh, it, uh even in comparison to the rest and i you know sometimes i i may point to this one even as being my favorite because of the fact that it's more grounded and more kind of the most simple, pure version of Trakiaro, you know. Um, and as as I was saying, Sigurara's comedic performance is incredible. He's able to just like <laughs> turn it up to 3,000% and he's also able to kind of like stew and and you know, yes, even give those meaningful stares as I was talking about and, and it really draws you in. I think another important part to mention is Sugawara and Aikawa's chemistry. Um, I think their friendship uh, is one of the things that really holds these movies together. Uh, like Scott was saying, kind of like at the end of the movie, uh, it, it 
it doesn't make you feel bad that they're all messed up and they lost everything, you know, that, that they still got each other and, and, and that's, you know, <laughs> good enough. <laughs> and, you know, when they're not getting along, it's very visceral and, you know, and this is because like when they are getting along, you really feel those friendships. But to this point, I also kind of want to mention Masumi Harukawa who plays Jonathan's wife, uh, Kimie. Uh, I think she's kind of the important secret third ingredient uh, that makes them all work, you know, her character description, if you kind of like just mention her as kind of this sort of typical uh, woman character who's the head of a household and, and, you know, whatever, but I think she really brings a, a real warmth to the character and, and makes her feel real. And uh, Jonathan's kind of like Yarrow nature is portrayed by him not loving his home life, but and, you know, telling women on the road that he's a widower and stuff and, and generally being kind of crappy to his wife and kids. But I'd say that, you know, there's something that happens in these, in this movie and over the scenes where over the course of the movie, you get the sense that he really does love them, you know, and uh, Jonathan's a much more innocent character than Momojiro. And we would never see Jonathan actually cheat on his wife or anything like that. Um, even if he does occasionally try um, I think that there's sort of a distinction that, that they make in these movies that Momo is kind of a bit rougher, uh, where, whereas uh, Jonathan's kind of a more lovable character. I really love uh, Kimie's contrast in that she's not like this kind of quiet, mousy wife. She's really gregarious and kind of uh, uh, forceful at times and but but still really warm and gives you a lot of sympathy for her and kind of like, like you said, Jonathan doesn't actually cheat on her, but you, you kind of get an extra kick at him being shitty for trying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, she's not a nag, you know, she's still like smiley, you know, she's still like friendly is I guess I, what I should say, you know, and she's very loving. And so she's not that, I, I feel like her character could have been a much worse caricature of you know a sort of nagging wife at home with a bunch of like uh you know kids that he doesn't care about uh, i do love that he has so many kids that he has to have them line up and do a roll call uh, and he messes up their names constantly <laughs> yeah <laughs> they can all keep it straight but uh, uh i'd say that my least favorite aspect of this film is the fate of okio as we were talking about um I don't know if you guys really have much more to say about it. We, we covered it pretty well. Uh, kind of my main summary of that is that, you know, I'm kind of happy for Senkichi, but uh, I kind of am not particularly pleased with, you know, how how things shake out for her. I don't like Senkichi enough to be happy for him. <laughs> I, I feel like the movie does not do a good job of making him remotely sympathetic. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, he's kind of a wiener. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the extent of my my opinion on on Sinkichi. Yeah. Uh and it is kind of a bummer. But. Yeah. Too bad. Um do you have any uh what what would you say is your favorite part of the film, Alex? Oh man. Uh the brawls are really cool. I really love mm -hmm. the brawls. I see I want to say that the the rest stop brawl is my favorite, but I actually really like the first brawl in the movie because you can see more fights happening in the background uh, and it just, uh, it's so, so cool. Yeah. Um, just like, like on top of the truck. Yeah. 
that's it's it's really dynamic like they're they're all over the place but i think the moment that i i knew that this movie was like cool <laughs> was when there's this obviously a dutch angle uh you know Siguar is punching someone or something like that but you see just two just two guys fighting in the background and that mm. that makes that scene so much livelier it colors it a lot more and it just makes it seem like such a lively like a lively scene yeah yeah i like yeah i kind of like this world that they've created where there's truckers having brawls all over the place and yeah and then they just get a slap on the wrist for it Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, how about you scott uh my favorite scene is probably the brawl in the truck stop because i just like it's really fun and i like dragon as a character a lot yeah he's got a lot of personality how he start after he gets punched he downs like half a bottle of wine to to kind of get in the mood to fight but uh (laughs) what i actually want to talk about Another scene I liked a lot was the fight between uh, Momo and Jonathan, where he's like, uh, Jonathan's airing his grievances and and explaining why he's angry. And they're kind of sizing up with each other and half-heartedly swinging. And it's it's just really interesting seeing the dynamic. And neither of them really want to fight. But then the second that... uh, Jonathan makes reference to to Yoko... uh, Momo gets actually mad and, and starts fighting back. Yeah. It's just a really interesting scene to me. I like it a lot. I like how like how pitiful Jonathan looks because he's just kind of like he's so upset that his friend has made another friend and is is kind of whiny and, and just falling down. Yeah, Sankichi's kind of like a worse version of Jonathan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a heartbreaking scene. Uh like I was saying, you you pretty instantly feel their friendship like their chemistry is so amazing that like once they you know break up for a while in the middle of the movie it's pretty hard uh to watch um as far as favorite parts of the film i actually just wanted to talk about dragon because he's awesome (laughs) (laughs) um you know the chuck yarrow movies are formula formulaic and like you know, it's these sort of specific variations that set them apart. And one of the things that I can kind of remember each film by is who the rival is. And Dragon's one of my favorite rivals. He's just like, um, you know, he doesn't quite have this sort of strong theming as some of the future ones do. Uh, There's like, you know, Matador one and Shark one and whatever. Uh, But like, uh, he's, he's, uh, I don't know, the the actor, uh, Makoto Sato is, is so awesome. And he's such a like, he seems like a cool guy to hang out with, but also like a tough dude, you know? And um, I don't know that I've seen him in a lot of stuff. He He's in one of the Zatoichi movies. Uh, he's in Blind Woman's Curse and Message from Space. So, you know, he's out there, but he's not one, he's not an actor that I like see a lot uh, of uh, and stuff like this. But, um, you know, Dragon's such a great character. He's like fun and jovial uh, and serious and, and I love that he and Momo are kind of on similar wavelengths so they can kind of like, you know, when everything was going down with Okio, they could just kind of shoot each other looks and they would like know what each other are thinking. But Dragon might be maybe kind of like skews a little bit more on the mature side. So yeah. Momo's like acting like an ass or whatever. Uh, Dragon tries to be reasonable with him, but, you know, once it becomes a brawl, he's like ready to brawl. <laughs> 
And um, yeah, and like I said earlier, I, I like the kind of twist that he's uh, Okio's sister and, and that we think that he kind of pops up randomly, but it all kind of ties, ties back in. And, and the kindness that he shows to Senkichi is also really great. So, you know, Dragon's, Dragon's super great. I even uh, drew him in the back of one of my Merman books. So. <laughs> uh, I like that he's got kind of a, a Charles Bronson look to him, mm-hmm. which kind of adds to his charm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, speaking of tying in, something else I wanted to touch on was like they, a lot of times when movies refuse to have loose ends, it it just feels contrived. But it, but here it feels kind of good that like that that subplot definitely that their brother and sister and ties back. But I like the kind of full circle of uh, Jonathan being responsible for that that man dying and then adopting. Uh, you mean before he knows that just that because he's a kind person, mm-hmm. but then it comes around full circle that he is kind of taking responsibility for a situation that he was in part responsible for. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the fact that Akira is also kind of like a Trekkiara of sorts too. I like, I, I like the sort of very strong uh, thematic ties that everyone has. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any more kind of general thoughts, Alex or Scott? Um, I'm good. Uh, I'd I'd love to see a box set of this. Yeah, yeah. You know, in my notes, one of the last things I have is plea for license. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think you know. I think that this would. I think that this is the kind of thing that is obviously very niche, but I think would still appeal to uh, the kinds of people that buy uh, these sort of yakuza movie sets and things like that. Um, by my estimation, you know, Criterion's one group that i think of occasionally uh, as someone who could bring this over it's maybe a little um low class for them but i don't know they just did the lone lone wolf and cub sets and that's not exactly a super classy affair but um i think by my estimation the kind of best um licensing company that we have a chance to bring these over is arrow video um uh, not only do they do a lot of sort of like more kind of schlocky uh kind of what uh, um exploitation-y type movies both uh japanese and english uh movies like they do a lot of horror movies and stuff but they they've been doing a lot of these great uh female prisoner scorpion sets and the battles without honor and humanity and not only are they kind of like the right feel of movies but they're also all toy movies uh which means that they've got an in you know with toei so you know, I think I think that um, I'm not saying everybody should like hound them uh, constantly or anything, but these companies, and if you have any idea of anybody else who you think might be a good licensor for this, these companies do occasionally uh, open up a call for like, hey, what are people interested in? Or you might see an opportunity once in a while to kind of like shout out at them. And, and if you're interested in seeing this or uh, the other movies, uh, definitely uh, let people know. Um, and like I said, I definitely recommend um, mentioning Arrow videos specifically. Because, uh, like we said, not even all of these are available. Like, there's, um, you know, <laughs> I'm not going to get into details about how to, like, get what. But, like, there are only kind of a handful of these movies that are available with English subtitles. Um, right. And so it's it's the kind of thing that, like, not only is it... Uh, a group of movies that would be fun to watch. I think there's a demand because they're not all available. Yeah, it'd be it'd be cool to have these 
available. And I said, just like for, for non-Japanese speaking world, to have access to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's great. Um, feel pretty good. I think we, we covered this up and down. <laughs> Sounds good. So what are we going to be talking about next month, Scott? Uh, next month, we're going to be talking about 1999's Dead or Alive, directed by Takashi Miike. Uh, I will warn everybody right now, this is a modern exploitation film. It is graphic in every possible sense uh, with uh, extreme violence, sex, all kinds of gross-out stuff. Uh, it's I, I find it a really interesting, compelling movie. It's uh, about Yakuza, but if you are... Uh, have a weak stomach or weak heart, uh, maybe skip this one because it's pretty intense. Um, current, I don't, uh, know of anywhere that it's currently streaming arrow, uh, which we were talking about earlier is doing a DVD and Blu-ray box set of dead or alive one, two, and three. That's supposed to be out, uh, in mid April. As of this recording, you can uh, pre-order the Blu-ray on Barnes & Noble's website for 20 bucks, which it's normally 50 So wow. jump on that if you, uh, if you want to get that set. Um, but yeah, I'm excited to talk about it. It's been a while since I watched it, so I'm hoping that this is another one, or that this one uh, holds up better. But just like visually, it's crazy, and there's, there's, it's just such a wild movie. I think it's worth checking out. Yeah, I'm definitely interested. I, I haven't seen this one, I don't think. I I kind of had a period where I was seeing a lot of like stuff and I saw like kind of a handful of uh, Takashi Miike movies and kind of had made up my mind that I don't like him. But then <laughs> I've recently seen some other things that changed my mind about that. So I'm curious about revisiting that. If that's Yeah. Miike, um, Miike was one of the first Japanese director that I really delved into in terms of like finding work. Uh, like their their entire works and his movies range uh, from like grotesque to very entertaining to completely bizarre. Like <laughs> he's he's got such a catalog, uh, and I would I would not say that like if you don't like one of his movies, you probably won't like the rest of his. his right. Movie. But he does have he does have a very distinct directorial style, which we'll get into next episode. Yeah, totally. Uh, but for now, uh, how can people follow you, Scott? Uh, I am Friska Chat on Twitter, V-R-I-S-K-A-C-H-A-T. Uh, I'm going to be busy for next little while, so I don't imagine I'll be too talkative, but hit me up on there if you want to talk about Truck Yaro or Takashi Miike or, or any of the films we've done. Yeah. How about you, Alex? Uh, you can find me at dude exclamation all one word on twitter.com instagram.com tumblr.com and um, you can hear me occasionally on the one piece podcast um, also on 20 minutes of bs which is another podcast that i do with uh, my friend steve and i will be uh, guesting on the april uh, on an episode of um, uh, the saturday saturday morning cartoons podcast uh, in april to talk mm-hmm. about one piece Oh, cool! Uh, yeah, we watch uh, we watch the fir- we watch um, the fourth episode of the series, and we talk about it, and uh, it's great. It's a great episode, and I I can't wait for uh, for it to come out for you to hear it. Nice. Uh, my main spots online are Twitter and Tumblr, both uh, joeyweiser.tumblr.com and at joeyweiser on Twitter. Um, 
<clears throat> I'm an author of a graphic novel series called Merman, and book five, the final book in the series, is coming out in April. Very exciting. Um, so Merman book five, Making Waves. The book release event is at Avid Bookshop in Athens, Georgia uh, on April 28th, and then the next day on the 29th is the Fluke Mini Comics and Zine Festival at the 40 Watt Club in Athens. So if you're in the Athens area, please uh, come out uh, and see me at one or both of those events. And if you're not, uh, please go out to your local comic shop or wherever and uh, check out Merman Book 5. Um, the hardcovers of 1 through 5 are out now, and soft covers for 1 and 2 are out, uh, and more are on the, coming down the way. Um, I also want to mention uh, Toho Yaro's plugs. Uh, we've got Twitter uh, and a Facebook group now. You can uh, join our Facebook group and comment on postings about what you thought about the movies or whatnot. Um, and email us, uh, tohoyaro at gmail.com. So please let us know what you think. Um, and we're still always taking recommendations uh, for future movies to cover. Um, and subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. That would help out a lot. Um, but for now, that has been Truck Yaro, and tune in next month for Dead or Alive. Dead or Alive!